the one piece that I realized was you need to get to a point where you're comfortable calling yourself out. Mm -hmm. And that comes with this idea of self-love, right? Like if you love yourself enough, then you're going to call yourself out. Hey guys, real quick, before we get into the episode, the host of this podcast is actually not me. It's my really good friend, really good mentor, Giovanni Pallavicini. Um, we recorded this podcast in the middle of an event where I was filming. And the main speaker at the event is actually the guest on this podcast, David Araya. Um, I listened to this podcast already. Um, and I was also in the stands when he was doing his speech. And it was super moving, super inspirational, so much value. So this podcast, it's a really good one. So make sure you guys tune in. Well, this is Giovanni, and I'm so excited to be here with David Arraya, the CEO of Nomadic People. Um, he is a hospitality speaker, soon-to-be author, and entrepreneur, so so excited to have you here with us. Thanks, Gio. It's great to be here. Yeah, no, uh, David was here speaking at the Global Workspace Association uh, fall conference, and we knew we wanted someone in hospitality. We didn't know who, what, or anything else, and I'll tell you, you came in and just blew our minds away from multiple standpoints, right? Awesome. You over-delivered. People were like, I didn't know I was coming in for a motivational speech so early. And um, I just think it's incredible to, to see and feel your light, right? I mean, the way you handle uh, everything from the beginning, right? Asking people to put their phones away so they can be engaged um, and then having them shift the energy for gratitude, right? I mean, that, that part was huge. And so part of what I get to do is I, I get to love on and coach people all the time. And so that's, I tell people real estate allows for me to love on people, totally. right? And so that's one thing we practice gratitude all the time. We do the whole, we call it, we put people in dyads, like, yeah. and have them staring at each other's eyes and just looking. We, we challenge couples to do that. That exercise was so uncomfortable for people. It was, it was. The energy shifted completely, no? Yeah. Yeah, you get people that are looking away. My lady kept looking at you like, is it over yet? Totally. And she was basically, she's like, you're really good at this. I'm like, well, I've done a lot of it. <laughs> Got a little practice. Um, and I just, well, I didn't even say anything until you asked us to speak. And sure. then, um, so... Help me understand. Let's go back to for people. Typically, their story goes back to childhood, right? Sure. So, talk sure. to me about kind of how what your upbringing was, yeah. and you know, kind of what the foundation was. Of course, yeah. So, I was born and raised in La Paz, Bolivia, um, South America. So, fifth of six boys. So, a very busy household. Always something going on. You know, my parents uh, were just trying to keep up with us. You know, the, the six boys and. Um, it was always an environment where we had people over in our house. You know, there were friends or friends of friends. And, you know, I remember when, when my parents would go and stock up the fridge, you know, within like four hours it was empty because, you know, someone would show up with his buddies and then just clear the fridge. Um, but that also meant that it was kind of like a hotel, you know, because there was always people coming in and out, you know. And so I kind of grew up in this environment where everybody's welcome all the time and the more the merrier. Um, and... In that environment, I always found myself to be the one that really enjoyed making sure people were well taken care of, right? I would uh, cut up fruit for my family on a Saturday morning just because I like to walk by and feed them fruit and make them happy, you know? And I didn't realize that that's what I would end up doing in my life, in my career. So parallel to that, I played, uh, I played soccer uh, at a pretty high level growing up, um, and I was you know, fortunate to have the skills, the ability and uh, some of the discipline, I would say. Um, but uh, that led me to really lead a, a, a life where I chased excellence. 
you know, and being in an environment where, you know, I wanted to be the winner and I wanted to work for the best or, or, or play for the best. Um, that led me into college uh, in, in South Carolina where I ended up uh, a, playing soccer at, at, for a Division One school and, again, keeping up with the discipline and the consistency. Uh, but I quickly realized that I was not at a level to go and make a career out of soccer, right? And so with that wake-up call, I said, you know what, if I'm going to go and do something, I'm going to do something that I love and I'm going to be the best at it. I'm going to be, I'm going to play for the top club no matter what industry I'm in. Um, and that was kind of my mantra as I went out into the world. Uh, I knew that I wanted to be in hospitality already, right in between high school and college. I did a cultural exchange program in the south of France. So I left home at 17 for, for a year and a half and I did this cultural exchange program. Uh, taught me that I wanted to be around people, that I wanted to be in, in this hospitality environment and that it was the best fit for me. Uh, it's funny, when I, when I was in high school, I thought I wanted to be a, a computer scientist and, and you know, uh, do things with computers all day and it was as far from the truth as possible, right? So uh, yeah, so I came in um, South Carolina, uh, studied at Winthrop University, uh, met my wife and the night I met her, I told her, listen, I'm gonna be a a hotelier that's going to travel the world and live all sorts of places. My kids are going to speak tons of languages. And are you ready to go on the ride? And uh, and she did that day. She said, "Hook me yeah. up." Yeah. So yeah, going back to childhood, really, it, it's so interesting how that's the foundation for the rest of our lives, right? And being Latin American myself, being Mexican Italian, it's a pretty interesting combination of the hospitality, right? So I knew that well. I was actually. Uh, always serving my parents' friends when they were over, right? Totally. And so tequila and wine and just food. And I love being around adults more than I like being around my own friends. Exactly. But, and, and, you know, living and growing up in the U.S., totally different, right? So my relationships, my friends were different. I come from the projects. So basically my parents provided me an incredible life going to private Catholic education, but I started chasing those things, right? Yeah. I thought that's what happiness was and fulfillment was. Yeah. And, um, and so the interesting part is, did, have you ever taken the Enneagram? You said you took yeah. a bunch. Of, so what do you, what number are you? I don't remember. Okay. Yeah. I would say you're an eight, right? Okay. So the, in the and I'm an eight. An okay. eight's a challenger, right? Yeah. They're always challenging everything. Yeah. They challenge the status quo. Um, we're overachievers, right? Yeah. And, and part of it, what an eight does is we control the environment because we had to learn to control the environment, right? Um, because of things that happen, right? At 10, my grandmother told me I was the man of the house when my dad wasn't home. Well, my dad worked in the food and beverage industry, so totally. he worked 14 to 16 hour days. So you were the man of the house so all at the 10, time. I became the man of the house and everyone's caretaker, right? Yeah. And so, you know, you mentioned that, you know, I loved your analogy of the sandwich, right? So you want to you talk about that yeah, analogy sure. of kind of where you were in that? Yeah, of course. You know, I'm the fifth of six boys. And so it was one of these situations where we, I was there and people knew I was there. But if I wasn't there, it was cool, too, you know, because there was so much going on. And so, uh, like I said, I'm the mayonnaise in the sandwich, right? So if, if you've got mayonnaise on your sandwich, it tastes much better. But yeah. if there's no mayonnaise, it's still a sandwich, you know? Yeah, and so that's the interesting part is we create these ideas of what, we, what we're supposed to be, right? Yeah. I became everyone's caretaker, and it was my job to take care of everyone, but not just that. It was I made myself my parents' retirement, right? It was yeah. my job to take care of my parents. Yeah. And going into my 20s, I would tell people, by the way, I played soccer at, uh, at a small Baptist school and loved it. Um, but I would tell people I've got two dependents, and they're yeah. like, you've got kids? I'm like, no, I've got to take care of my parents, right? And exactly. so it's amazing how we take on those roles, that, and you mentioned that, right, the label side That's of right. stuff uh, that, that people take on. 
Um, so kind of going back to that, kind of you, you call it the mayonnaise, but what label did you take on early on? Yeah, I was, I was a people pleaser and I was the guy that just was a glue. Uh, amongst everybody, you know, I, uh, it's funny cause this, this idea of the challenger and it came afterwards, right? So that, that aspect of, of that, which I very much relate to this personality, uh, that, that you're mentioning, right? Like I needed to be in control. I liked when things were in harmony. Yeah. And so I would do anything I needed to do to have that harmony. Right. So again, if I would find that one of my brothers was upset at another one, I would be the one to try to go bridge that for them, yeah. you know, just because I couldn't stand the the lack of harmony in the household, right? And so it, I was always that, that, that guy that, you know, people could come and talk to me and they knew that I'd be listening to them and that, you know, they could come in and share a secret and that I wouldn't go and like spread it to anybody else. Or, but I also was a bit of a, a, a negotiator too, right? And so they would come to me and be like, hey, why don't you uh, go ask uh, Pablo to give us some of that sandwich or to, you know, give us some of his candy. And they wouldn't want to go and do it. They knew that I'd figure my way into that situation or my way out of that situation. So. Yeah, no, it's so interesting. And so the way the Enneagram works is you have wings, right? So if you're an eight, the, the seven wing is uh, the fun side. It's the life of the sure. party. It's um, they love people they're right yeah. and then the nine is the people pleaser yeah right and so their job is to basically always make sure there's harmony like you said and so totally. so interesting how we find this place and the reality like in the Enneagram the goal is to be a perfect amount of all nine numbers right sure. but that just doesn't exist it's not it's, we, we've yeah. all got we've all got uh, things that have caused us to be who we are so kind of moving forward you kind of stepped into that that role of, you know, the hospitality at the house, the role of the high achiever, the role of uh, this nomadic hospitality person as, yeah. as you got married. So kind of talk about the next steps. I mean, you shared with us kind of your, your, your time through corporate uh, hospitality, if sure. you will, and kind of what you were chasing. Sure, yeah, and, and that, that was the word, right? I was chasing something. Um, I had a goal in mind, which was to be, like I said earlier, right? like I wanted to be the best of the best, right? And that I didn't want to sacrifice uh, that goal, right? And uh, with that kind of direction in mind, I, I you know figured if I can make it anywhere, it would be, in, if I can make it in New York, I can make it anywhere. So let's go and start New York City. Um, that's what we did after college. So Jessica and I uh, took a U-Haul and drove all our stuff up to New York without a job, without having any idea what we wanted to do, except for the fact that I wanted to be in hotels. Uh, I applied to every job that I could in hotels. Uh, it's crazy because I applied for you know, line level jobs all the way up to like director jobs. I didn't care. You know, I was like, something's gonna gonna land, and I ended up uh, landing in this small uh, boutique hotel near Times Square, just in Midtown, uh, called City Club Hotel. Uh, I don't even put it on my resume anymore because it was such a small stint. It was six months, but it was really a bridge into New York City. And then after six months of being in the city, I'd made friends with two, three other hoteliers through some of these other applications that I'd submitted. Um, and I told him, listen, I took this job. I, I, I ended up choosing to take the job of a manager right off the bat um, versus going in as a line level um, for a bigger hotel and more prestigious hotel. And I look back now and I was thinking that that's probably the best decision that I made because I prefer to be a big fish in a small pond than the other way around. Um, and it was a, a long discussion, you know, to say, which, how am I going to get into the industry, you know? But taking that leadership role from the very beginning is, is really what allowed me to accelerate my career because I never had to go from being a protagonist to then being the integrator or the coach of, of many other 
kind of pieces, you know. And so um, I, I did that, and then I moved to the pier in New York City. Um, you know, I wore a double-breasted suit, thick tie. It was not at all me. It was a costume I would put on every mm -hmm. single day, and I could feel it, but I was fighting the, the, the temptation of taking it off because, you know, it had prestige, and it had the name, and, you know, I always attributed things or, or, or um, you know, compared things to what I knew, which was soccer. And I was like, well, listen, at least I'm playing for one of these big clubs now, you know, and uh, I'm playing for the big club. I have to wear the big club jersey, you know, and so. Um, so not to interrupt on that, but do you yeah. think any part of that had to do with the fear of, of not not living up to or getting be able to get back to that stage and you felt like you had to play the game of wearing that stuff? Yeah, you know, I think I, I, I had this chip on my shoulder that came with soccer that said, listen, uh, you're not that good. You know, you're good, but you're not that good and um, not good enough to make a living out of it or a really good living out of it. So I had that chip for sure, yeah. you know, and I wanted to prove everybody yeah. that, you know, and, and the other piece and something that I had to prove a good part of my career, especially with my brothers being Latinos, you know, Latinos culturally were quite judgmental, more than curious, right? And, uh, you know, each one of them was like, what are you doing, man? You're packing up your bags, you're headed to New York. Like any little move you would make, they would question it. And they'd yeah. be like, what's going on, you know? Um, so I always had to, to prove them wrong, you know? And, um, you know, and, I, and now I'm happy to say that I proved them right, you yeah. know? And uh, because they, they had doubts and they had... Uh, you know this judgment but it was because they were looking after me and that's it right I mean because that's that's what Latino families do you know yeah they, they, they take care of you but they think they know better you know for sure but I mean it all goes back to how you know the the part of having a big dynamic personality like you have yeah you know like we have is they're they're the los celos right that's there's right. always jealous my parents 100%. would always say be careful how much you put out because people will be jealous totally. right and so even part of that is you know personalities like ours we start at the top and we work our way down right I, I, I start at the CEO level and I'm like okay who is he gonna send me totally. to and then there's people that are like well no I, I mean that's I don't want to disrespect the people down here totally. or I don't even know what to say to the CEO so they start at the lower level but yeah. it totally changes the trajectory of our lives 100%. right because you went in at a GM level versus going in like you said at a, at a server level or that's something right. else and so it sets the tone for our lives, right? Totally. And so that that's the amazing part. So, okay, so you're wearing this double-breasted suit. That's right. Thick tie. Yeah. How does yeah. that continue to play out? Uh, yeah, so then, you know, after about a year of being there and we opened the hotel and uh, got married, um, in fact, we, we opened the hotel two days after, after the wedding, and so I had to, you know, skip the honeymoon. Um, and that was the beginning of kind of me questioning a little bit, hey, you know, this is, this is kind of crazy, but hey, it's the hospitality industry and, and I need to do it, right? And I need to sacrifice it. And, and uh, Jessica has always been very forgiving and very open about the fact mm -hmm. that, you know, that it was going to be a sacrificed industry, right? Because I'd have to spend so much time. But I knew that I wasn't in the right place. I could feel it. My behavior wasn't aligned with what they were looking for. Going back to, to this kind of personality type, I really was somebody that just questioned everything. And I wondered, why the heck do we do things like this, right? Um, and the service was very traditional, very old school, very classic, and um, you know, it just didn't fit my style. And then I, um, I talked to my boss uh, at the time, and she gave me one of the most important pieces of advice I could have ever received. And she said, David, when you go out there, you, know, you see hundreds, if not thousands of hotels, so many different brands, so many different styles, right? At the end of the day, we all take care of people, but in many, many different ways, right? And you cannot try to force yourself into being something you're not. So go out there and find the brand that makes sense for you. 
you know, and go and explore the world and go and try different things, but don't try that. Don't try to fit a square peg into a round hole. And that was really a really great lesson for me because that's what I did. You know, then I moved to Fountain Blue in Miami. It's probably the opposite of what the Pierre is in New York. You know, it's 1,500 rooms. It's got Live, this huge nightclub. It's got mm-hmm. 10 pools, tons of restaurants. Very vibrant, young. And, and I got there and I completely thrived because I was really in an environment where I could be myself. Um, and that was what I say was my trampoline hotel because, you know, I started as a front office manager taking care of, you know, front desk reception. And I ended up being a hotel manager that was kind of overseeing the entire guest experience. And uh, yeah, it was amazing. And so it's so interesting as, as you share your experience in New York at that level at the pier, and then you go to Fountain Blue, both very affluent, high net worth people, but polar, polar opposite totally. types of people, right? Totally. Different personalities, so explain kind of what the transition looks like there, right? Because people are people, right? But yeah. there's people that come from different cultures, different yeah. backgrounds that have different expectations. So how do you manage that yeah. transition? Yeah, I mean, I think the first wake-up call for me was just how broad the range of people that went to a place like Fountain Blue mm-hmm. was because it's massive, right? It's 1,500 rooms. And so you would see families, but then you would see the rappers, and then you would see the celebrities, and then you would see, uh, you know, just people from middle America that were going, and so you saw su- such a wide range, you know, and, and it was the first time that I was like, wow, these guys are a little bit everything to everyone. But then I realized, no, they're not, you know, there's there's a unifying factor, and that's why I always, you know, talk to people that have businesses, and I ask them, what's your, your unifying factor? What's that glue, right, to bring all these people together? And it really was entertainment and you know, wanting to go and have a heck of a time in Miami, you know, and so no matter where these people came from, they knew they were coming into an environment that would have good party, good places to hang out, good food and beverage, a great pool scene, a great beach scene, you know, so um, yeah, and, and you know, you went back from this very kind of uh, narrow niche market to something much more broad, but that had a unifying glue, and it, and it really opened my eyes to to a different way of seeing the business, right? Which was which was amazing. So, what happened? At what point do you decide, hey, you know what, this this corporate environment isn't for me? I mean, what, did it happen at Fountain Blue? How did uh, it progress? Obviously, it's a progression. Yeah, a it was a progression. So, you know, right after Fountain Blue, what happened was, you know, I I, I had my son, and that completely changed things for me as well because paradigm shift completely changed the way I see, you know, the day-to-day life. And I, I remember one day I had to go and talk to a family that had just checked into the hotel uh, on a Saturday night. And then Sunday morning I was talking to them and they were so disappointed. Their 14-year-old daughter and their 12-year-old daughter had walked into the lobby and it was chaos and there was, you know, uh, weed everywhere. And there was, uh, you know, there was a uh, one of these machines, the uh, metal, the metal detector machines yeah. to get into the club, and people were like taking weapons out. And he's like, "And that's not what I paid for, you know." Like on the website, you've got this like bellman that's has two kids on the bell cart and is like yeah. rolling them down the lobby. And after that conversation, I got home and I said, "I think it's time for me to look at something different because I don't align with that, right?" Like I have kids too, and I I, I basically gave him all his money back. I said, "Dude, you, you can." do whatever you want, here's your money back, go stay somewhere else because you're right, you know? So when I got to that point that I didn't align philosophically with the way that things were happening, that's when I shut off, right? And 
Um, then I had an opportunity to move to Hong Kong, which was a completely different culture, business hotel with a tons of life and excitement and lifestyle. Uh, then I brought that back to Miami and we opened a similar concept for, for the brand in Miami. So it wasn't corporate to the extent that, you know, that I would have known corporate before yeah. because it had a huge lifestyle component. I always say, you know, this company was 200 plus years old and we were like the grandchildren in the company. Right. So we went to grandma and grandpa's house to get a taste of culture and to understand how we what our operating model was. But then we came down and just completely changed everything and did it our way and modernized it. And right. So um, from the way we dressed, from the way we acted, the way, you know, I remember we were in Hong Kong, a very traditional hotel environment. And I was the only one that would walk into the hotel association meetings in jeans you know, because everybody still wore the suits, the cufflinks and all the, all the good stuff, right? So, um, yeah, that's when I started saying, you know what, I'm never going to go back to this environment where I wear a suit and a tie and all of that, you know. Um, it happened because I, I joined Four Seasons after that in what I say is my MBA, essentially, because yeah. it was four and a half years and great experience. But I also now more than ever know that that was not the right fit for me. And it's interesting because sometimes we have these epiphanies. So I'll tell you, uh, at 27, 28, I found myself focusing on Hispanic real estate in Texas, right? So huge population. Sure. And I'd show up to meetings in jeans, Air Force Ones, and an untucked button-up shirt. And people are like, you're going to meetings? In, and, and I mean, I'm, a, I'm in a professional corporate real estate yeah, yeah. world, right? The commercial real estate, they show up with... A, Pocket square. And, totally. I mean, they all look the same regardless of where you go in the U.S. Totally. But I was like, you know what? They have nowhere else. I'm the only person they can call, right? That's right. There's no, so I, I, I could show up however I wanted, right? But at that point, same as you, I stepped into a corporate role where I still remember showing up in a three-piece suit and being like, what in the world am I wearing? <laughs> um, so same thing, right? You shifted yeah. um, at that point and you decided to do something different. And yeah. so for me, interesting, we're sitting here at a, a co-working conference, my decision was to go from retail to joining Regis, which is one of the large, I mean, 3,500 yeah. co-working spaces, which ultimately has me where I'm sitting here today yeah, because yeah. I went and got that four and a half year master's degree and had to go through the pains of that totally in order to become who I am today, right? So, okay, you got a four seasons, you're working through that process. Yeah. Kind of, how's that? Yeah, that was, I mean, it was an amazing learning opportunity. Uh, honestly, I'd never worked with a, such a powerful network of professionals before. Uh, and it really is like a family, you know? So they've got this really positive competitiveness between them amongst the properties, mm -hmm. the GMs, the, the, the leaders of each area, but they all connect and work together all the time, right? So I want my property to do better than yours, but if you need help, I will send you someone right away. And it was amazing. That part of the business is one thing that I've taken with me as a big learning is, um, you know, the opportunity to give people jobs and roles where they can be in one part of the world one day and then in another part of the world the other day, giving them task force opportunities to show and prove themselves in a, in a completely different environment than what they're used to on a day-to-day -day basis. And just this network and camaraderie that existed, you know, I mean, really people live and breathe for seasons, right? And the guests can feel it and the team members can feel it as well, you know? So it was an amazing experience, an amazing experience to the point where, you know, if, if COVID hadn't hit, I don't know if I would not still be with Four Seasons, right? Um, because COVID is really what accelerated my, or pivoted my, my, my this transition or accelerated the transition that I was already going through that I think probably I would have ended up 
doing anyway mm -hmm. because I wanted to get closer and closer to, to my true self. Um, but COVID definitely accelerated that. And it's so interesting. Call it God, call it the universe, call it whatever we want to call it, yeah. right? Sometimes uh, things happen that get us where we are supposed to be, right? They catapult us out of that, out, right. of the, out of comfort level and make us uncomfortable to the point where gives us the opportunity to do something different, right? Totally. And it sounds like that happened for you for COVID and it happened for so many other people, right? It, it caused people to look in the mirror and go, what's important to me? What's valuable? Yeah. Okay, so COVID happens. Yeah, um, so, you know, I'll backtrack just a tiny bit. You know, when I, when I started going through this kind of mindfulness introspection journey was uh, while I was with Four Seasons, I went to the GM Academy, which is this really incredible program where they select 25 hotel managers uh, that are, they call it that were on the runway to becoming GMs and that prepare and they prepare them for for that experience. You get to meet hotel owners and present to them. And there's a full day of introspection in that. And in that full day of introspection is when I realized, wow, okay. I need to make a few changes to to the way I operate in order to be aligned with what this true self looks like, right? And um, and one of the big challenges that I was facing was that I was addicted to technology. I was addicted hmm. to my phone and specifically addicted to Instagram. I spent a lot of time on Instagram, mindlessly browsing and really with no objective, right? Um, and when I decided to make the first big shift was, you know, let me change this habit of Instagram for something that still makes me feel comfortable and I changed for LinkedIn. And I started posting stuff on LinkedIn consistently. I had a Monday, Wednesday, Friday program. I started adding a little hashtag, think to learn to lead, where I got people to think and I got people to learn about things and then apply those learnings into their leadership roles. And I really got into that. And, and what that did is it created a massive network for me that I had no idea. So give us happen. a time frame. Uh, this was about a year and a half of, of posting. Uh, but how long ago? Oh, so this was uh, this was about six years ago okay. or six or seven years ago. Yeah, when I was with Four Seasons, and uh, yeah, so so I was posting. I was growing my network. I was uh, invited to a few podcasts. I was in, because of the content that I was posting, and I, I appreciated that I was uh, creating instead of consuming. Right. So I started realizing, okay, I can pump out. Content to the world and others can consume it rather than me sitting here and mindlessly consuming things, right? Um, and I would take things that I would learn from books and I would look from conversations or from my experience. So the reason that's important is because then COVID hit and and you know the hospitality industry got decimated, right? Everybody lost their job. We completely had to close and change and everything. I was in Austin, Texas at the time, and um, so what I did is you know I'm going to go back into LinkedIn and I'm just going to post stuff on motivation and getting people excited about life and, you know, giving them a bit of a, of a mindset shift as well. You know, um, it's a great time. People are captive and are, are attentive to what we're saying on LinkedIn. And uh, there were three or four of us in, in the hospitality industry that moved in, in that direction. And, uh, you know, that ended up being uh, an opportunity because then I had, you know, my resume on, on the desk of a CEO four times in one day, same, same exact, resume on the desk of the same CEO through four different sources, right? Um, and uh, that was my entry into Auberge. Um, and Auberge, the, the CEO is the former CEO of Four Seasons, so we had a lot of commonalities, grew up in Peru, a big Manchester United fan like I am. So we had a lot of things in common. And uh, yeah, I, I decided to pivot into Auberge, smaller company, growing entrepreneurial spirit, uh, where I could push more buttons that with mm -hmm. Four Seasons. And I started heading in that direction. Wow, that's and and so, 
from there, I mean, kind of what role did you step into? I with stepped him? in as a as a as a GM. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I was the general manager of Hotel Drome in Aspen. Okay. Uh, Hundred plus years old, uh, iconic property, middle of COVID, but you know, in Aspen, in a little bubble uh, of wealthy people. So mm-hmm. COVID didn't really exist then and there. And so, yeah, taking care of guests there, and then uh, with the long term idea of of moving to Mexico to open a, a resort for them there, and that's what I did. So. After a year and a half of being in Aspen, we moved to the Riviera Maya, and uh, and we opened Eterio, which is an incredible resort right okay. there in the Riviera. So, and and now you live in Ibiza. So, kind of, how does how how did the next few steps play yeah. out as you open that? Uh, so it's it's funny. I was in the middle of the process of opening the hotel, and I got a call on a Saturday, uh, you know, from a good friend of mine that I'd opened uh, the the property in Miami uh, years back with Swire, and uh, he was like, "Hey, listen, I'm sitting here with with the owners of this hotel in Spain, and um, they're talking about the need for someone that's exactly like you, you know, somebody that's non traditional but that has the luxury background that." understands experience and I said well it's impossible man I'm, I'm, I'm about to open a resort in four months and um, you know he said well, just talk to the guys talk to the guys I think you're gonna love it I think you're gonna love the concept and so I did I had the conversation um, I told the guys right away sorry thank you very much I can give you a few names of people that I could recommend but it's just not the right time uh, fast forward two weeks and they were saying listen why don't you uh, we'll wait for you why don't you tell me how much time you need? You need six months, you need a year, we'll put somebody in there as an interim, but then you jump in and, and take on the role. And then that's what I did. So I, I opened the, the resort in, in the Riviera Maya, and then uh, you know, two months after the opening, I, I said goodbye and I, and I moved to Ibiza for this other opportunity. And the reason why I decided to take it was because it was much getting me much closer to where I really wanted to go, right? And the, 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 the brand, Six Senses, part of IHG, mm-hmm. very much about wellness and very much about um, uh, just this this introspection and also sustainability, which was mm-hmm. another big piece for me. I realized in my career as well, as I was leading with more intention, that the service industry or the traditional luxury service industry was a lot of giving, but not a lot of taking. And I wanted something where the responsibility was both ways right, yeah. where we have a co-responsibility towards making the world better yeah. and towards, you know, contributing towards that. Yeah, and I think the interesting part about it is, you know, our foundation professionally leads to our mission statement, yeah. right? And I, I tell people all the time, I, I do real estate in order to pour into people, right? I mean, that that's my passion. If I could coach people full-time, I would, but the beauty of it is, what I get to do puts me in front of people that then I end up coaching, right? Totally. And so it's just so interesting how that plays out. And so where you are today, I mean, so the hospitality component, obviously you continue, you're using that as your platform, but yeah. you're a servant leader ultimately chasing hearts, right? That's right? I mean, and that's that was what I experienced today and my what my interaction with you has been. So let's talk about kind of where that transition happens, kind sure. of how this hospitality world that you participate in as a hotelier basically overlaps with the motivational speaking sure. uh, side of the world. Yeah, you know, uh, I've always been good at getting people riled up for something I believe yeah. in, right? Whether it was following a sports team or getting people to do something that perhaps wasn't exciting, but I got them to do it. Yeah. You know, I was always the person that could move a big group and I was never afraid of speaking in front of everybody right um, and I didn't know that that was such a fear 
in individuals, such a prevalent fear in individuals, um, you know, until I started getting more and more into it. But um, I remember I had a GM um, that was an introvert and, um, you know, he loved having me around because he said, listen, you're going to go up there, you know, and in traditional hospitality, no, 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 it's the GM that gets yeah, up there. Yeah. It's whoever is the highest in the hierarchy is the one that gives the speech or the one that, uh, you know, hands out the awards and all that stuff. And, you know, I, I was like, listen, you put me in front of there, like I'm, it's my jam, you know, like I come out totally energized, like I, you know, and, uh, and because I was able to do that, then I said, listen, okay, great. I've, I've realized I have a, an innate kind of natural talent to be able to be doing that. Um, and at the same time, I was going through this hospitality journey where I realized more and more that people were distracted and that people needed help and that people didn't dream big enough and that people just simply needed somebody to just give them a boost of energy uh, in, in one direction or another. And I started doing that with friends and with colleagues. And, uh, and then one day somebody said to me, listen, David, why don't, you, why don't you do this at a much bigger scale? And I go back to this idea of dreams, right? And I was like, well, yeah, you know what? I thought about it, but I, you know, it's always just been a dream. It's something that Tony Robbins does. It's something that Brene Brown does. It's, this yeah, is something yeah. that these figures that are like, to me, idols, you know, do. My platform is not big enough. My story's not big enough, right? do that. Yeah. You know, what am I going to tell these people? You know, how are they going to take what I say and, 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 and it be legitimate enough for them, you know? Um, but then through a series of mistakes and a series of things that I did, you know, which is what I based my talk on today, you know, mistakes I make at home with my kids and not being present enough. And, um, you know, I realized, okay, I'm just like everybody else. And all these people do have these same problems, you know? Um, and, and because I was going through this journey and turning what, you know, could be something very esoteric and very kind of left for the spiritual gurus, but turning that into something that is actually digestible and chewable and doable um, is when I started really making change for people, you know, and, and then that's where I kind of hit my, my spot and I said, okay, now I know what I want to do, right? I want to inspire people to be better by giving them two, three pieces of advice that open their eyes and that because they know they can do it, it'll make them want to explore more and more and more and more. And so the interesting part is when we're living our passion, it completely changes everything. Right? Totally. And so even like sitting here across from you, the minute that you, that you start talking about that, you lean back and totally relaxed. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you recognize yeah, that, yeah, yeah, right? Totally, totally. And so it's just so interesting because we get to live what our calling is and what our mission is, right? And you briefly shared about that. So what would you say your mission is? Yeah, my mission is, is to help people dream bigger um, and recognize that the dreams that they have as individuals are limited by the way that society has kind of labeled them and put yeah. them in the world, right? Um, not to anybody's fault, right? It's just the way that it happens. Humans define situations and things with what they know, the, what we call labels, and those labels then help you understand the world, but they also limit you. So as you go along, you know, you think of all these kids that when you ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they're like, I want to be a firefighter or an astronaut or a doctor or, you know, like they tell you eight things. And, and then you're like, well, you can't do eight things. Well, why not? Right. We put the label. We automatically limit them. No, nope, sorry, you can't do eight things. You have to do two, one or two things. And oh, OK, then I want to be a soccer player. Oh, no, no, you're not. You know, soccer player, you have to be part of the point zero 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 one percent. So automatically we limit, 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 
I want to be the opposite. You know, I'd be like, you want to be a soccer player? You can absolutely be a soccer player. Yeah. But you're going to need to do this, 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 this to get to be a soccer yeah. player, right? You need to put the time in. You need to sacrifice all these other things because you need to become a master at what you do, yeah. you know? Almost um, like you had to sacrifice your Instagram world to be present with your family to then lead the, to where you are today from a professional and motivational standpoint, Yeah, right? exactly, exactly, right? So, and, and then when they realize, okay, that dream is achievable is when I like to really turn it for them and say like, okay, so that dream is now achievable, so what's your real dream, Yeah. right? And, and, and you constantly have to be living with a real dream so that you can head in that direction. And, and the other big piece that I learned not long ago was the fact that I kept chasing, chasing, chasing a dream, but that's not the right approach, right? You have to attract everything around you to achieve the dream, yeah. right? But if you're just chasing, all you are is you're getting in your own way. Well, and also you the proverbial dangling carrot, right? The, the, the put, further out you push, the more you're going to want and expect. And it's so hard to get there. So you never celebrate the victories because you're so busy. Again, part of our personality, right? Is totally. you're so busy achieving more and more and more because you know you're capable of it. That's We're right. all capable of it. Uh, but our personality to, to hold, I mean, we're extremists, right? We're either totally. all in or we're all out, right? Totally. And society also puts that on us, right? I think depending, because every culture was a bit different, right? So if I went to Hong Kong, man, those people were drivers. And those people were working from early dawn to late at night, every single day, not having breaks. But then I moved to Hawaii where I had a supervisor that I wanted to, you know, promote into a management position. And the guy said, no, I'm good, thanks. And I, I told him, what do you mean, thanks? You're awesome at your job. Everybody respects you. You can influence them. You inspire them. You need to be the leader of this team. And he said, David, I see all these people come to my hotel, and they work all this time. They're always on their iPads. They're always to do what? To go and do the thing that I get to do every single day? And they get to do it for five days, right? So they finish their day, they go fishing. I get to go fishing every single day at three o'clock. I clock out at 3.30, you'll see me down on the rocks fishing for dinner. Yeah. And it's what I love to do. So, you know, it, 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 that gives you some perspective that, you know, we condition ourselves to want to hustle and to want more. And like you said, not to appreciate the everyday and the simple pleasures um, because we're so worried about the outcome um, you know, and, and I think that, you know, fortunately now there's a movement of people that are helping us see that it, it is an infinite game, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. And it starts with being present, right? And I mean, that's, again, going back to how you started, you made, you made us be present by putting our phones away, right? So that's number one. But number two, you led straight into gratitude, right? Because it's funny, you said it perfect. The way it was explained to me when I was started my journey 15 years ago is if I were to write hope on the inside of my hand and fear on the outside... I can't look at both, right? The way our brain is wired, we can't focus on positive and negative at the same time. And you had a really unique way of, of, of putting that. So gratitude was a big part of your journey and huge. part of what you share with people. Huge, huge part. You know, I think it's, it really is like a shield for me, yeah. right? And when you turn that on, uh, you actually feel invincible. You yeah. know, you feel like the opportunities are endless, um, you know, and, 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 it also is such a great, it's such a great tool to use, a practical tool to use, right? So if you're stressed, if you had a bad day, if you're angry 
and you take one second, you take a deep breath and you just say, you know what, I'm so grateful that I have the opportunity to be sitting here talking to you, learning something new, sharing the word with everybody. Oh, right there, you know, you've, you hit a, a different frequency, right? And that frequency stays with you. And yeah. so, you know, it, it, it's, a it's a simple tool that people anywhere can use. Well, it's all perspective, right? Every situation has a positive and a negative to it, right? And it's, it's through what lens we look at it, right? And I think that's such a major part of it. And that kind of leads to the next step is, you know, you, you mentioned kind of your relationship with alcohol, right? And how, and, and Instagram, right? You mentioned that too, and how it wasn't a negative one, right? I mean, we went out to dinner last night and you had a couple glasses yeah. of wine, right? Yeah. And so sometimes you step into it and you realize there's a season, yeah. right? And like for Instagram, you made the shift from totally. Instagram to LinkedIn, right? You, you took it from something that took life away to something that gave life. That's right. Right? And same thing with alcohol. And so kind of, I still, you, you had that little chart up and I was, I was listening to you and trying to follow it. But I mean, you want to kind of talk through that, the little, the little people, right, of realizing hey, this is a problem to how you work through the relationship to ultimately get to whatever end conclusion you get to? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, I think uh, it, it's a process, right? And I think everybody goes through the process, um, you know, in, in the relationships that we have with anything that gives us dopamine, right? Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I realize that there are so many different sources of dopamine and a quick hit that, that you know, that are in front of us and, uh, and we get used to it, right? And we make it habitual. Um, you know, and for us, it was alcohol, right? Like we, we had this, this moment of the day where we, you know, let all our stress go and decompressed by having a bottle of wine and, uh, you know, and it was a ritual that we had created at home, you know, and, uh, but, but I definitely recognized the fact that, you know, there was an effect the next day. And it wasn't until I really needed to really be performing at a high level um, that I caught myself and I said, wow, I told myself that I would be the best of the best and this is something that is not letting me be the best of the best right because I'm coming in groggy I'm coming in let you know with with a short temper I was recognizing these yeah. these consequences right and so um, you know and, and I also I'm fortunate to have you know a, a, a very very uh, sage and wise wife you know who also supported me in the journey but also always pushes me to be better and so um, we replaced that habit for a tea habit Right. So we have a nice cupboard and we, you know, have our teas and we've got them from all over the world and we make it just as important. Right. Yeah. Um, but now it's something that serves me because it allows me to sleep better. It sets me up for success the next day. So but in order to get to that, you kind of sometimes have to hit rock bottom or you have to yeah. get to that point where it's really causing a negative impact for you to realize that you need to get out of it. Yeah. And I think that's the hardest part when you love people and you see their um their addiction or their struggle, you want to fix it. But I think that's the hardest lesson I've learned coaching people is my job is to love them through it and give them feedback along the way, but they're going to get there at the right time because if it's their journey, right? Some people can, I say people change for one of two reasons. The pain of not changing becomes so painful that they have to change or they're forced to change, right? Yeah. You know, someone gets a DWI, yeah. Someone ends up hurting somebody else yeah. in a situation. They end up in a business setting and say the wrong things. Yeah. They put themselves in the wrong place. And so ultimately, I mean, I think those things are so vital uh, for people to recognize and understand. Yeah. You know, I think it's interesting you say that because for me, what I realized, my mom is an alcoholic. And so we've, we've had that in our family for, for a while. And we've 
tried everything like good Latin families we get yeah. in the way yeah. and we all have opinions and we all want to save the day. And it's it's her fight. It's her struggle. It's her battle. And, you know, um, and, and only she can can be the one to go through that journey. And like you said, we just have to love and, 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 and give and positive energy to be able to help her through it. Um, but I think the one piece that I realized was you need to get to a point where you're comfortable calling yourself out. Mm -hmm. And that comes with this idea of self-love, right? Like if you love yourself enough, then you're going to call yourself out. And you're going to be like, dude, you're such a fool for what you're doing. Yeah. You're not doing what's good for you. But most human beings are so distracted with everything around them that they don't spend time with each other, right? I, I heard something the other day of somebody that was in jail for years. And he said, the reason why I live happy is because I learned to live with myself. And I learned to be okay with myself, mm -hmm. with everything I did, the good, the bad, the ugly, but I learned to live with it. And I, and I apologized to myself and I forgave myself. And now I don't need anything else, yeah. right? I don't need to chase anything. I don't need it because I go to bed and I don't have a worry in the world because I'm at complete peace with myself, yeah. right? And I think that's the point where it, when you hit rock bottom sometimes, that's the element, right? Is that you finally say, wow, I need to start loving myself. Yeah, for sure. And, and it's funny that you mentioned that. So, you know, going back to kind of part of my stories, I chased success because, you know what, I didn't have a safety net, right? There, there wasn't a, a trust fund. And so I chased success. And part of that was I always had an entourage with me. Um, I had that I everyone had to know who I was when I got there, right? The doorman knew my name. I shook 50 hands on the way to my seats at the Maverick Games. And ultimately got to the point where I'd look around and I'd be like, we'd get bottle service and I ordered bottle service and then I'd order a bottle of Evian for myself, right? I was drinking water. Um, and it just got to the point where I was like, I want more than this for my life. Um, to ultimately to get to where I'm trying to get, I have to change things. Yeah. And, and part of it, I started uh, praying that, that people would be removed from my life that didn't be in it because you are who you hang out with, right? And that's such a vital part that sometimes we don't think about, right, is, you know, I call them red solo cup people, right? The people that want to go to the bar that serves, you know, alcohol <laughs> in a red solo cup. You're like, what am I even doing here? Yeah. Um, but part of it, too, part of that journey is really learning how to love yourself. And I'll tell you, again, 15 years ago, I had to learn how to date myself. I would go to the restaurant and sit at the, at the bar and have dinner by myself. And on a Friday, on a Saturday night, and before I couldn't do that because I was so concerned about what did people think I got stood up? Totally. Do they think I don't have friends? Yeah. Um, I started going to movies by myself. Um, and so part of it, you know, part of my story is the, the expectations I created, I, I struggled with mental health, right? I had, I had suicidal ideologies every time I fell short of my expectations. I had anxiety about, you know, the future. I had depression about all the decisions I'd made that were wrong. And so ultimately, it started giving me peace because I started replacing, back to your point, the fear with gratitude, right? The scarcity with the abundance. And so that makes every difference. But, I mean, the the hardest struggle that most of us have is the struggle between our ears, right? Is the self-talk, right? Totally. And so that's what keeps us from really taking the steps that we need to take in order to be the person we're called to be or even want to be, that's right? right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. And it's uh, the moment that you realize that you're not your thoughts, 
uh, is really when you are able to have breakthroughs, right? Uh, at least for me, right, is I, I go back to that point where I, I, it all clicked and I said, okay, I have the opportunity and I have the ability to change the way I think. And it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily need to govern my decisions, right? So that I can change my thoughts in order to change my decisions and those decisions will determine my destiny. That was kind of the breakthrough and aha moment. Um, and, and that's when I started recognizing that, you know, there's a responsibility that we have as humans the moment we understand that to, to make the change, yeah. you know, and to help others realize it too, you know, um, because yeah, at the end of the day, it's automatic in, inside there, right? And it's fight or flight and it's, you know, the resistance that's telling you, no, 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 I want to feel what I'm used to feeling, mm-hmm. um, bring it back. And the beauty of it is through finding ourselves, we help other people find themselves, yeah. right? And I give the example of the alcoholic, right? There's an alcoholic that can never be around alcohol ever again, yeah. right? They can't ever walk into a bar, they yep. can't be around it because it, it's got such a grip of them that they just can't even be near it. And then you've got the alcoholic that's called to literally go back into the same bar where they got drunk time and time again with the people they got drunk time and time again and yeah. order water. Yeah. And then people ask, well, why are you drinking water? Well they get to tell their story, yeah. right? And so they, then they're able to lead other people out of that place. And I yeah. think back to your point, even one of the biggest lessons I learned in my walk and, and just loving on people was I'm not Tony Robbins totally. and I'm never gonna be Tony Robbins totally. and I wasn't called to be Tony Robbins. Totally. I'm never gonna be six foot six with a big old barrel bested, barrel chest. Totally. And I'm, I'm called to change the people I get to touch in the world I get to be a part of. And there's people that are gonna change one life in their entire life. And that's an awesome, awesome thing, right? And there's people that are changing millions. And I think that's part of, sometimes we've create these ideas and expectations that are sometimes unrealistic, especially coming from a US mentality, even though I'm Latino, I was raised here. We create these expectations and back to Instagram, right? We, We scroll through Instagram and all these people are doing all these great things. In most cases, 95% 95% of the time, if, if not more, you're seeing people's best lives. You're totally. not seeing the crap, right? Totally. They're not posting their anxiety, their fears, their depression, and they're not posting any of that. Totally right. Totally right. It happens to me all the time. You know, I mean, uh, in, in the presentation I gave today, there's one slide, my favorite slide of the uh, entire presentation, because I just use pictures from, from all the years that I've been traveling, is the one where I show all of our stuff packed in a box, you know, like yeah. ready to put on a container. Because everybody thinks that, you know, my life is uh, going from beach to beach and bar to bar and restaurant to restaurant. Yeah. But it also is, you know, undoing and redoing Ikea furniture, you know, 13 times in a matter of 20 years, you know, and, uh, and uh, all, the, all the other side of things as well. But yeah, humans, uh, we, tend to, uh, we tend to look at kind of what we really want to look at, what makes us feel good. And we don't realize that sometimes in order to properly feel good and really feel good, you have to feel bad first. Yeah. You know? And I think that's even part of it is as we continue, as we live our lives, especially in the social media world or we, everyone's watching. Right. Yeah. And so I, I tell people that all the time is there's, there's always people watching. And in your case, even more so, right? You've got three little sets of eyes watching what Poppy's doing. Totally and then right. you have a wife that's going, okay, can I continue to let this man lead me? And, you know, and so, and even if you come in, into crowds, right? Like I said today, we had, you know, 250 people watching. 
um, as you gave your speech and, you know, walked out and I was asking, and everyone was, you know, just complete awe when we walked out, but a lot of them was because they didn't realize they were getting a motivational speech totally. that was going to help them look at their life differently, go back, look at their clients differently, go back and look at their own families differently, right? And so sometimes we forget through the way we live our own life, we're affecting other people's lives. Totally. And so that's what's really cool. And so I really appreciate your time doing yeah, this and hearing you. about really it. And I'm going to end. I think you, you heard me do this to Drawer yesterday. So if you've got three beautiful children and a wife, if they were each to say one thing about you that they love, it's one thing they admire, one thing they see in you, what would each of them say? Yeah, it's a, it's a good one. Um, so my, my wife would say that I'm um, incredibly passionate. Um, and then my kids, uh, Andres would say that I'm, um, a good soccer player. That's what he would take, uh, because that's kind of the frame of his world right now. Yeah. Um, Cruz would say that I'm a companion partner and, uh, and Luna would say that I'm the protector. Of course. Ooh. Yeah. And that, and that's the awesome part about it. And I mean, I'll tell you, you know, you, you are salt and light, right? Everywhere you go from the moment, I, I think I shared this yesterday when I met you, I was like, you know, your energy that you bring, your smile, your charisma, I mean, it, it exudes you and your body and it just, it surrounds you, right? So you're this aura Thank of you. light wherever you go. Um, and, and it's a gift, it's a gift, right? And, and the, the crazy part about it is that charisma, we can use it to help or we can use it to manipulate, totally. right? And so we can encourage <laughs> or manipulate. We can That's inspire right. or cause fear. That's right. And so I love the way I see you using that, right? And so that's, that's number one. Number two is just your passion, right? It, it's, it's abundantly, to do what you do, yeah. right? I mean, you're, you're leaving DC tonight. You're going back home to be with your family because that's your passion, but your passion is also then taking you to Mexico next right. week to continue delivering your message and, and everything that's been put upon you. So, so again, your passion. And I think last of all is your compassion, right? I mean, you can see it in your eye. You know, you had us do the whole eye exercise, uh, looking at people in their eyes. Their eyes are the window of the soul, like, uh, like your slide says, and you can see people's heart and compassion. Totally. And um, I think that's part of Latino culture anyways. It is, 100%. Um, because we're taught that. Yeah. But at the same time, it comes a point where we do it because it's we enjoy it. Yeah. And... Uh, we find value in it because it makes us feel whole and it's totally. not because... Feeds our soul. Yeah, 100%. again, because nothing leaves with us when we leave this world back to your That's give right. and take. And so I, I really appreciate everything you're, you're doing out in the world to make it better. Thanks, you. And the I, feeling's mutual. I really appreciate it. Very inspiring to, to be around you as well. And, uh, you know, you can tell that everything you do, you do it with tons of passion as well. And, and, and you, people gravitate towards you because of that. And I look forward to our paths crossing again. And... Uh, and, and continue to see our stories unravel. So thank you so much for spending time with me. Likewise, man. Thank right. you. Take care. <laughs> All right. I don't even know how long that is. What happens is you start talking that and you're awesome. like, Thanks, absolutely. Um, one last thing. If, if people want to find you, right, whether they want to follow you and your inspirational story and your nomadic family, right? Yep. I mean, I know people love doing that. Um, where can they follow you there? But also if... 
There's people that are interested about having you come in and give your incredible motivational speech on hospitality and just service and just overall life growth, right? Where can they find you? Absolutely. Easiest way is on LinkedIn for all of my content and then davidaraya.com for anything that's related to speaking um, through Gray and Miller, the agency that I, that I work with. Perfect. I appreciate it. Amazing. All right. That's awesome. Make Thanks, sure man. you get that for you.